Ciao amici, welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Luca Guadagnino's 2009 film, I Am Love, or Yo Sono L'Amore. First, as a couple quick news items in terms of film festivals, the Toronto International Film Festival is taking place this month, September 2022, and two Italian films that are featured include Amanda, directed by Carolina Cavalli in her future debut, as well as The Hummingbird, directed by veteran director Francesca Archibugi, based on a novel by Sandro Veronesi. Later this month, from September through October 2022, we'll have a couple premieres at the New York Film Festival. First, Exterior Night, directed by Marco Bellocchio, which is a television series that initially debuted at Cannes this year, and this will be its US premiere as well as the documentary The Adventures of Gigi, directed by Alessandro Comodin. Hopeful that these films find U.S. distributors so that they'll be accessible beyond each film festival. I first saw I Am Love in February 2018, shortly after being introduced to Luca Guadagnino through Call Me By Your Name. I definitely enjoyed it, though my memory of it was that it was a bit colder and not quite as lush or warm as Call Me By Your Name, though at times it was often more intense and experimental. I Am Love is the story of the Recchi family, who own a textile manufacturing company in Milan. The film opens with the birthday of the family patriarch, who owns the firm, and he announces his retirement and leaves the company in the hands of his son Tancredi and his grandson Eduardo, who shares his namesake. The night of this party, Eduardo's friend Antonio, who is a chef, comes by the house and is introduced to Emma, Eduardo's mother, who is a Russian-Italian immigrant. Through chance encounters, Emma and Antonio strike up an intense connection and begin an affair. As their relationship develops, Emma's daughter, Elisabetta, shares that she has fallen in love with another woman. And then on the family business side, following the grandfather's retirement, the textile company is being sold to an American firm. Feeling the pressure of the changing business, and then the shock from discovering the affair between his mother and his friend, Eduardo slips and falls into the swimming pool, suffering a hemorrhage and eventually dying. At his funeral, Emma confesses her affair to her husband, whose presence is barely felt in the film, and she leaves him to pursue her passion, with the support of her daughter Elisabetta, who is herself in a period of self-discovery. Emma flees from the family home, almost vanishing into thin air, and the final haunting image of the film, during the credits, is a barely lit but discernible image of Emma and Antonio together and free. I Am Love explores many different themes, including change, insider-outsider dynamics, and identity. At a dinner party, the businessman from America, named Shai Kubelkian, comments that The world is growing, it needs to be changed. All one has to do is alter the way one looks at it. 
This film follows the paths of its characters undergoing extreme periods of change. Emma, the mother of the family, discovers a newfound passion in her relationship with Antonio, ultimately leaving her bourgeois home and life behind to pursue a future together with her new love. Antonio, also swept up by this new romance, is at the same time professionally pursuing a new restaurant venture, exploring changing his family villa up in the hills into a picturesque dining experience. Betta, Emma's daughter, realizes she's fallen out of love with her boyfriend Gregorio and has now fallen in love with a woman for the first time. Even artistically, Betta is pivoting from her earlier work as a painter and she transitions to photography as her medium. At the family get-together that opens the film, upon being gifted a photograph, Betta's grandfather comments that this change in his granddaughter is a novelty. While less cold about change, Eduardo, Emma's son, is also ill-equipped to handle and process the unexpected turns that life may take. Eduardo is charming, polite, and easygoing, and he regards the past fondly and clings to tradition in a way perhaps greater than those around him. His fiancée Eva visits him at work in the textile factory, and they eat lunch together in the regular employee's dining room. Eduardo remarks that this value was instilled in him by his grandfather to feel like one of the workers. Eva seems irritated by this habit, replying that times have changed and things should move on. Of the three children in the family, Eduardo seems to be the most connected to their family's half-Russian heritage. He speaks Russian with his mother, and he has a favorite dish in the uka fish soup. The past brings a satisfaction and layer of his identity to him beyond that what his siblings seem to feel. With all that said, it's not that Eduardo is incapable to handle changes. He accepts his role as co-head of the textile company, and he genuinely wants to partner with Antonio on his new restaurant. But when unexpected change occurs, perhaps he feels like he's let the family down when the business is sold, or he's been rocked by the news of his mother's affair. These moments where life goes off course are simply too much for him. His reaction to change is literally what kills him. Seeing that he's upset upon discovering the affair, Emma offers him her hand. He rejects it, then slips and knocks his head on the concrete before falling into the swimming pool. The brain damage from the fall causes a hemorrhage and his young life is cut short. His immediate impulse to cut ties and to sever his relationship with his mother rather than grapple with and work through this new revelation is ultimately what becomes the death of him. Another recurring element experienced by characters in different scenarios is the burden of insider-outsider dynamics that emerge even unintentionally. Relative to the other characters, Emma and Antonio perhaps experience this the most. Emma, as a Russian-Italian immigrant, often feels uncomfortable and not at ease, even within her own home or with her family. At the dinner party, following the sale of the Recchi family business, Emma, Shai the businessman, and Emma's mother-in-law, Rory, are seated together on a couch. In this little scene, the conversation first is translated by Rory, speaking between Italian and English to facilitate communication between Emma, 
speaking Italian, and Shai speaking English. A few pleasantries into the conversation, though, the translation effort gives up, and Emma is there, unable to keep up or contribute to whatever's being discussed. This moment doesn't necessarily have an air of cruelty or negligence, though. It feels more that the business, family, and perhaps their bourgeois world just move at a cadence that Emma can't keep up with. Another, also micro moment, comes in the hospital. When news of Eduardo's passing is shared, the immediate family of course mourns, hugging and comforting one another. At this same time, in the same shot, Eva, Eduardo's fiance, is crying alone on a bench. No one is looking to her or thinking of the loss she's feeling as someone outside of the blood relatives, even though she's someone who, of course, still loved Eduardo. Antonio experiences outsider dynamics in ways typically tied to class. As a chef, his world is very different from the bourgeois lifestyle of an industrialist family. In one scene, three women of the family, Rory, Emma, and Eva, go out for lunch at the restaurant Antonio works at. Emma is enraptured by the quality and sensations brought out by her meal, and goes out of her way to thank him afterwards. While she steps aside to do so, Eva has just left, and Rory is there waiting for Emma. All three of them had the meal, but even when an opportunity comes up to thank the maestro who's been behind the scenes, Rory and Eva pass up the opportunity. Furthermore, in Antonio's introduction in the film, he's come by the house the night of the grandfather's birthday. He's brought a cake as a gift to Eduardo, whom he just beat in a race. Eduardo ushers him in, introduces him to his mother, and asks the housekeeper, Ida, to keep Antonio there so that he stays. Antonio is being genuinely welcomed in, but he still feels uncomfortable and leaves when no one is looking. The sudden disappearance by Antonio is bookended by that of Emma at the very end of the film as a striking punctuation to her place as an outsider, fully exiting her situation and a lasting image on the film's questions around identity. Emma's identity, both in terms of her inner self and her exterior presence, is an ongoing internal struggle and eventual release within the film. She is originally from Russia, and when she tells her story to Antonio, she confesses that when she moved to Milan, she stopped being Russian. She doesn't even remember her true given name, just that she was called Kittish as a child. It's quite a shocking thing to admit that her entire childhood was wiped out and she doesn't even recall her given identity. Even after adopting a new self as an Italian, taking on the name Emma, learning the language and assimilating into the culture, her outsider status still resonates throughout the film. In addition to the social scenarios mentioned earlier, even the way she is positioned through the camera work speaks to her role within the spaces she occupies. For most of the film, she is seen in full or medium shots. Her entire self, from head to toe, is well within the frame, swallowed up by the sitting rooms, hallways, restaurants, and city streets that she's in. The camera movement 
has an almost floating or weightless quality, like it's tethered in place, but trying to peer just around the corner. Emma is diminutive within the physical spaces she occupies, adding to the feeling that she's almost lost in the shuffle, a passive occupant, with the camera movement evoking that extra reach and yearning. The moments when she does appear in close-up are when she is her truest self, in intimate moments with Antonio, someone who sees her and knows her, not lost against the artifice of her bourgeois setting. Her presence and import to others is even explicitly spoken on once she admits the affair to her husband Tancredi. His reply is that, you don't exist. And in the next scene, she bolts into the house, grabs her things, and leaves. She has a farewell moment with her daughter Betta and is acknowledged by the rest of the family, but when they turn back to look at her, she is gone, an open door, her last imprint on the house. She no longer exists here in this place. Like Antonio following his introduction to the family, Emma too has vanished. If her place and standing are communicated through the camera framing and motion, her journey is expressed through the mise-en-scene. Motifs like class differences are highlighted through the upstairs-downstairs nature of the family estate, with the wealthy homeowners elevated physically higher up while the workers and staff are down below. Emma and Eduardo, to some degree, are able to navigate both spaces, transcending the class and physical divides that separate their world from their staffs, particularly in their relationships with Antonio and Ida. Another striking instance of staging is through Emma and Antonio's first meeting, the night of the grandfather's party. Most of the group has moved from the dining room across to the rest of the house, and Emma is following behind. She crosses the entryway, where, if she continued straight, she would stay with the group, but Antonio is at the front door, and Eduardo calls her to introduce them. Shot from overhead, we see her deviate from her path of staying with the family, and instead turn to her left, down the stairs, to meet her son's friend. This, of course, sets off her new journey, pulling her from the easy path, following others, and instead trying a new course. In addition to the visual storytelling through cinematography and staging, the musical score plays a vital role in the emotional heartbeat of this film. The soundtrack is made up mostly of existing music by the contemporary composer John Adams. The scenes at home, opening with The Chairman Dances, feature strings on a steady cadence, creating a sense of motion and order punctuated by chord tones, perhaps a subliminal hint that the everyday rhythm is about to be altered. Something is bubbling up to break out. The soft piano tones in a later transition moment are reminiscent of being in an art gallery with pieces to observe from afar, from a more measured, respectable distance than being wrapped up in emotion. There's a sense of restraint in its mellow pace and quieter volume. The bombastic horns of Lollapalooza 
invoke the chaotic, mad energy of Emma in gentle pursuit of Antonio when she spots him in San Remo. There's a playful quality in how the melody jumps around, and it evokes how Emma's composure is somewhat unraveling as a result of Antonio. The final song, Harmonie Ler, part three, has the sense of motion that the opening music has, but rather than single, almost a la carte chord tones, we have richer, full brass instruments breaking out, holding onto chords with resonance. Emma has now come clean about her love and the walls have been torn down as she bids her family farewell and flees in pursuit of her new passion. This opening up and exuberance of her emotions is reflected through the forte strength of the instrumentation. We're left ecstatic and breathless by new possibility. In terms of Italian culture, some of the food that is featured includes bacala milanesa, in the subtitles described as leghorn-style cod, which is cod that's boiled, fried in batter, then served with lemon. Antonio also makes his own creation, an eggplant and elderflower dish, plus a special plate of prawns with ratatouille for Emma. When Emma goes up to the hills to visit Antonio, at a bar she orders a quinotto, which is a carbonated soda made from the fruits of the myrtle-leaved orange tree, almost like small oranges, but they're another type of citrus fruit. This is the same flavor that's used for herbal liqueurs like Campari with a bittersweet taste. The two main locales that we're in are Milan and San Remo. The very first image of the film is of a snowy winter's day in Milan, of San Carlo al Corso and its piazza, followed by more images throughout the city, gradually growing more rural until we get to a residential street where the Recchi family lives. A specific area, Corzo Magenta, is mentioned as where the grandfather and grandmother live, in the same building where the Libreria Atalani, the bookstore where Eva works at, is located, which puts the location geographically at Corzo Magenta 65. An interesting connection about this address in particular is that right across the street is the church Santa Maria delle Grazie, where Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper is located. In a way, the grandfather's birthday is something of a last supper. He's gathered those most important to him, his family, and beseeches unto them what he wants to happen to his work after he's gone, and who will carry it into the future. Just as Christ broke the bread with his disciples, beginning the act of communion as a tradition that the church carries on millennia after his passing, the grandfather here is laying the groundwork for where he wants the business to go and what his legacy will be in the future. Another scene is at a well-known locale, the Duomo of Milan, when Emma has read her daughter Betta's letter to Eduardo, speaking of her love for another woman. We hear Betta in voiceover, describing her happiness and joy, while we see Emma pace across the roof of the Duomo, her relative size again diminutive against the spires of the cathedral. 
the extreme angles, diagonals, straight lines, all make Emma look like a mouse caught in a maze, scurrying around without direction and overwhelmed by the structure around her. Just as this big change and revelation about her daughter comes as both a surprise as well as a possibility of growth in following one's passions. Another Milanese locale we visit is the Cimitero Monumentale, the monumental cemetery, where Eduardo is buried and where Emma confesses to Tancredi about her affair. The architecture of the main entrance building, the Famerio, helps storytell as the conversation unfolds. She says her piece, that she loves Antonio, and that Tancredi no longer knows who she is, before his walloping, you no longer exist, in reply. This confrontation is intercut with shots looking upward as pigeons fly out of the massive building through the windows out to freedom at the very moment when Emma, of course, is reclaiming her own freedom. In addition to Milan, the other major city featured in this film is San Remo. San Remo is the nearest city to where Antonio's family's property is. It's also the transfer point for Emma when she's on her way to Nice to visit her daughter, Betta. It's on the Italian Riviera and is a picturesque summertime tourist destination. While stopping there, Emma notices a church, walks towards it without clear explanation, then sees Antonio walking along the sidewalk right in front of it. The building she's drawn to is the Russian Orthodox Church, San Basilio, which is certainly reminiscent of St. Basil's Cathedral in Russia with its curved domes. This mini moment is an interesting one. Emma is drawn to a building with a Russian connection, which then leads her to bumping into Antonio. By taking a small, maybe unconscious step towards a symbol of her original identity, revisiting her true self, she unlocks what will become her path to a new love. We're big fans of Luca Guadagnino here on this show. This was his third feature film and the first in what's called his Desire Trilogy, starting with I Am Love, then A Bigger Splash, then Call Me By Your Name. Some of the qualities uniting Guadagnino's work include moments of extreme sensory detail, the intense buzzing of bugs, jolting camera movements, and a powerful musical soundtrack that all heighten the experience. His films also often set their lead characters on a journey of discovery and identity, and I Am Love, about an immigrant who ceased to be Russian and finds a new romantic passion in her middle age, is absolutely such a story of discovery. With its classical musical score and sensual energy, it's hard not to think of Call Me By Your Name. And another film this reminded me of is A Room With A View, also about a woman finding herself and realizing there's a better life out there, if only she uncovers the courage to pursue it. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your choice of podcast platform. You can also follow the show on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, ciao, Michi.